Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we're continuing Jada Bharat's amazing talks with Maharaja Hugana and taking everything that Maharaja Hugana had said and 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 speaking about that topic. So when Rahugana was speaking sarcastically to Jadaparta, and he was saying, oh, you're so thin, and you're, you know, you don't look very strong. And so here in verse number 10, which is uh, chapter, uh, Canto 5, chapter 10, verse number 10, we hear, again, the, the first part is fatness, thinness, body, and mental distress, etc. These are kind of him commenting on some of the statements that Maharaja Rahugana had previously said. So we'll begin there. Fatness, thinness, bodily and mental distress, thirst, hunger, fear, disagreement, desires for material happiness, old age, sleep, attachment for material possessions, anger, lamentation, illusion, and identification of the body with the self are all transformations of the material covering of the spirit soul. A person absorbed in the material bodily conception is affected by these things, but I am free from all bodily conceptions. Consequently, I am neither fat nor skinny nor anything else that you have mentioned. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, I picked up on these two sentences it is not possible for everyone to become immediately self-realized like Jadabharata. However, as stated in Srimad Bhagavatam, Nasta Prayeshu Badreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. By, and so thereby spreading the Bhagavata principles, we can raise human society to the platform of perfection. And then Prabhupada writes, the more we advance our freedom from the bodily conception, the more we are fixed in devotional service, and the more we are happy and peaceful. So I, I picked up on this gradual point, Prabhupada said, it is not possible everyone to come immediately self-realized like Jada Bharata. Um, so it, it's a quite, I think as, as practicing sadhakas, we're looking for this balance, right? Uh, the balance of the urgency of Krishna consciousness and of becoming spiritual and the fact that we could um, die at, at any moment. And at the same time, patience and having proper expectations and at the same time having hope and having faith. So it's all these these, I'll repeat that again. So the urgency and patience, you could say that that's one kind of, you could say, hmm, polarity. And then having proper expectations, because Prabhupada uses the word, we could not happen immediately, yet hope and faith. And I think some combination of that, which seems like a kitri of different things, can make for a very good Vaishnava. We do want to avoid, of course, complacency. Right? So even if Srila Prabhupada is saying it's not going to happen immediately, it doesn't mean we just go, you know, what do they say, Bhagme, Bhagme, later, later. 
Um, we want to avoid complacency, just like in that, that term niyamagraha and niyamagraha, one meaning following the rules and regulations just for the sake of following them without really having an idea, remembering what the goal is, or just neglecting the rules and regulations and saying, ah, whatever. So I think uh, this is this balance. Balance is such an important thing in life and as a devotee as well, so that we, we practice our, our vaidhi sadhana really nicely and strictly. Uh, we get up early, we, we chant, we, et cetera, et cetera. We do those things um, with a sense of urgency that let me make some more advanced, let me be more advanced today than yesterday. Yet with the idea that this is a long distance run, it's not a sprint. Sprinters would get, if, if a person running a hundred yard dash had to run a mile like that, they would, uh, after about, a, I don't know, an eighth of a mile or a quarter of a mile, they'd be totally exhausted. Mm-hmm. So, so that combination, and then, we, and then uh, having proper expectations, proper expectation, you know, um, on one hand, there's, there's the process, adoshradha, tata, sadhu, sangha, bhajana, kriya, anartana, vritti, nishta, ruchi, ashakti, bhava, prema, that there's a, there's a path of bhakti in making advancement, and we can expect that. And we can also expect that Lord Chaitanya can do anything. One who remembers Lord Chaitanya, the impossible becomes possible, and one who forgets him, vice versa. So we have that hope, we have that faith, and we have that patience, just like utsahan, nishchaya, dharyat. Enthusiasm, patience, and confidence that we can achieve that goal. So what, what an interesting combination that is from Srila Rupa Goswami and Upadek Shamrita. Enthusiasm and patience. Sometimes one could think that those are diametrically opposed, but they're not. Enthusiastic at the same time, understanding that there's a process. The word gradually is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita as it is 48 times. Now, some of those are not specifically about gradual advancement, but about 36 of them are. So Prabhupada is making that point about, it's, you know, it's not as he's making here in this purport that we... It's not possible for everyone to become immediately self-realized it's like Jada Bharata. Then he says, but there's a process. And the translation of that is that by regular attendance and classes on the Bhagavatam and by rendering service to the pure devotee, all that is troublesome in the heart is almost completely destroyed. And loving service into the personality of Godhead, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as an irrevocable fact. <clears throat> so some thoughts on this statement here in Prabhupada's purport, or what we have just spoken about. So I like this point that uh, just all the transformations of the material coverings of the soul. When I get more concerned about the 
transformations of the material coverings all these things are taken personally by me and i start to react to that but jada bharat in this case he is saying oh those you whatever you said are true but those are on the material body so it's a material covering i am not worried about that because i am not that i am just a spirit soul and none of those things you mentioned is not applicable to the spirit soul so i am fine you like that point is that what you're saying yeah yes and and again the word balance comes in right because we have to take care of our health and our body and our family members and all of that and at the same time part of gyan is to understand that all of this is so temporary what will be these what will be our situation 100 years from now which in light of even modern history is a short period of time what to speak of in lord brahma's life and even our grandchildren who may be 1 years old now what will, will they be 100 years from now so there's that gyan that is um spoken about in many places in in our shastra and then yet within that we deal with the day to day and also we we focus on bhakti not just on the detachment that comes from let's say what jadavarta is speaking here or what we just mentioned about you know if i'm if i'm 60 almost 62 years old now where will i be in 30 years from now 30 years is really a short period of time right but the the the, the difference for us is and i hope that this is what you mean ragunanandu when you say it's inspiring is is it leads us to a good space in terms of our bhakti and our keeping things in perspective it's such a it's actually not it's actually a challenge to be a good vaishnava anytime but in, in this day and age it's it's a, it's a challenge because it is keeping every so many different things in perspective you're not your body and a hundred years from now you still have to want to pay your electric bill <laughs> right or deal with that uh, irate person who works for the next cubicle to you at work but because bhakti is so powerful we can we can still make advancement you know Srila Prabhupada right mentions many places that that it's only in bhakti that one can be a grihastha and a spiritualist these other processes for gyanis and yogis they 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 have to be renunciates yeah so thank you for uh, pointing that out raghunandan prabhu other thoughts comments questions hi uh, hari krishna prabhu um yes sakshi gopal i would like to echo raghunandan prabhu basically uh, these statements makes him um, shows that he's very clearly detached uh from the material part of the life uh he's uh, uh it basically it shows that he's not at all affected by any of that stuff um, one thought comes to me is uh, as a devotee arjuna is affected by so many things and he's also a devotee mm. and uh, and here how should we have to con- conceive or like uh, perceive that jalabharda uh, uh as a devotee w- 
how we should discriminate between these two people because uh, arjuna is more close to our type of lifestyle where like he's affected at the same time he's surrendered and he's asking questions and he's leading the right way of doing things and here he's also a devotee but like he's completely aloof so um how we should perceive this prabhuji well <clears throat> the different devotees have different relationships with the lord and isn't it mentioned here I, i'm sorry that i don't remember but they say that he comes in the line of kapila muni is that right isn't that mentioned because he took shelter of the ashram where kapila muni was from is that right does anyone remember that yes prabhu yeah okay i got it right so kapila muni of course is the uh, author of uh, sankhya philosophy so again a, a very much a detachment gyan kind of approach in, in part of course as prabhupada writes in uh, chapter 2 verse 39 of the gita that sankhya yoga leads to bhakti yoga um so here we can for us we can get some inspiration from his from his level of detachment and at the same time say well in my particular case uh i get more inspiration perhaps from arjuna's example just like we're not going to um yeah we we're, we're, we're not instructed for example to be like jatabharata to to not take bath to have a you know a blackened brahmin thread to make ourselves deaf and dumb etc uh, seemingly so uh, and also of course here in this context he specifically as i said in the beginning reacting to or commenting on maharaj rahugana's so he may also be presenting things in a way that will benefit maharaj rahugana whereas if maharaj rahugana had said please talk to me about how are you expressing your love for god he may have said something quite different thank thank you prabhu ji thank you that gives me a lot of light thank you very much okay hare krishna prabhu hare krishna prabhu yes devinand prabhu prabhu i was i was thinking that based on what sakshi gopal prabhu said um that arjun um he he understood gita and then he performed his duty um with the knowledge and being surrendered to krishna but at the same time if you look at it after when krishna departed when he went back to the spiritual world then arjuna used that same knowledge of gita to give up everything as well so to some extent he did both uh-huh. at, at different parts of their of his life so and if we try to apply that to our life as to where we are at what situation we are in or what like we are all grasthas and we are we have to we have to to some extent not totally give up bodily conception because it's going to be too hard is what i'm thinking i may be wrong but and then find the right time to actually go with that conception of totally out of bodily conception when we are not don't have those responsibilities and other things that we have to deal with right now yes just like if uh i i haven't had a chance to listen to it yet but yesterday or the day before yesterday krishna nandini mataji was interviewed and she's a shiksha guru to many many devotees 
and she's getting prepared to leave her body. And so I'm sure her, uh, and she was part of the Grihasta vision team for a long time. So I would guess it's likely that what she may have been saying 15 years ago about Grihasta life and all that might be different than what she's saying, you know, pretty much in hospice and uh, preparing to leave this world. So thank you for Divya and Prabhu. There's at different times in our life, there may be different emphasis. <laughs> different emphases. I'm not sure if it's how you pronounce the uh, plural of emphasis. So let's move on. Okay. Unless someone else, one last comment if someone would like to make. Did anyone here hear uh, Krishnandini Mataji's interview? Yeah, I heard that probably. Um, the one that Anutma Prabhu did? That's yes. The, yes, it was very good. Interview. Did you give us a one minute summary? <laughs> I think uh, one of the things was, um, which some of the highlights for me, one was how she actually created an atmosphere within her home for her children to always uh, stay in bhakti mm -hmm. and how she focused a lot on, on Srila Prabhupada and hearing uh, uh, Srila Prabhupada's lectures and also instilling that in, the, in her kids. Um, and, and, and just she's, she, she's, amazing and kind of building that relationship with Krishna as if like she's focused too much on and not in a, in a very good way that like she focused on having that relationship with Krishna. So she, and also her story of how she came to Krishna consciousness is, is, is like an inspiration for her throughout her life is, is like how Srila Prabhupada was so merciful and, and how she went to Dallas uh, with her family and then how Srila Prabhupada the next day on the day of Radhashmi gave her and her mom initiation. And, um, and, and she took that and, and into her heart and, and she's living by that principle of being merciful and, and, uh, and following the principles that are taught by Srila Prabhupada. So um, I, I thought of her as, as an ideal disciple of Srila Prabhupada who is really following in the footsteps and, and, and also trying to do something for the community in the sense of, she said she had a dream one day uh, of Srila Prabhupada coming to her and saying that you should do something about uh, Grihastas and, and write something about it. And, and she got inspired by that. And then she, with her husband, worked on that. So, so, so there's so many things that she said is like how she's 100% Krishna conscious, like how she's always thinking about how, uh, to improve and have better married life for others and also instilling those principles of Krishna consciousness to her kids. And this is coming from her kids that how they uh, got into Krishna consciousness is because of her mm -hmm. uh, loving nature and also ability to give them that gift. Uh, and by example, by example, rather than just teaching them, it's more by example, by seeing her they were able to catch the Krishna consciousness. So. Thank you. Thank you for that. Hopefully we'll be inspired to uh, let's take a listen to that. Thank you. So let's carry on now and go to verse uh, 14, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, verse 14. Okay, so verse 11. My dear king, you have unnecessarily accused me of being dead, though alive. In this regard, I can only say that this is the case everywhere because everything material has its beginning and end. As far as you're thinking that you are the king and master and are thus trying to order me, this is also incorrect because these positions are temporary. 
Today you are a king and I am your servant, but tomorrow the position may be changed and you may be my servant and I your master. These are temporary circumstances created by providence. My dear king, if you still think that you are the king and that I am your servant, you should order me and I shall follow your order. I can then say that the differentiation, that this differentiation is temporary and it expands only from usage or convention. I do not see any other cause. In that case, who is the master and who is the servant? Everyone is being forced by the laws of material nature. Therefore, no one is master and no one is servant. Nonetheless, if you think that you are the master and that I am the servant, I shall accept this. Please order me. What can I do for you? Now, just briefly, Prabhupada writes, For some time we play as master or servant, as actors play on the stage, under someone else's direction. Text 13. My dear king, you have said, You rascal, you dull, crazy fellow, I am going to chastise you, and then you will come to your senses. In this regard, let me say that although I live like a dull, deaf, and dumb man, I am actually a self-realized person. What will you gain by punishing me? If your calculation is true and I am a bad man, then your punishment will be like the beating, like beating a dead horse. There will be no effect. When a madman is punished, he is not cured of his madness. 14. Sukadeva Goswami said, O Maharaj Prikshit, when King Rahugana chastised the exalted devotee Jadaparta with harsh words, that peaceful, saintly, person tolerated it all and replied properly. Nescience is due to the bodily conception, and Jadabharata was not affected by this false conception. Out of his natural humility, he never considered himself a great devotee, and he agreed to suffer the results of his past karma. Like an ordinary man, he thought that by carrying the palaquin, he was destroying the reactions of his past misdeeds. Thinking in this way, he began to carry the palaquin as before. So in the purport, Prabhupada writes a uh, wonderful purport. An exalted devotee of the Lord never thinks that he is a paramahamsa or a liberated person. He always remains a humble servant of the Lord. In all reverse conditions, he agrees to suffer the results of his past life. He never accuses the Lord of putting him in, into a distressed condition. These are the signs of an exalted devotee. When suffering reverse conditions, the devotee always considers that the reverse conditions are the Lord's concessions. That's an interesting one. I, I like the word concessions. He is never angry with his master. He is always satisfied with the position his master offers. In any case, he continues performing his duty in devotional service. Such a person is guaranteed promotion back home, back to Godhead. As stated in the Srimad Bhagavatam 10.14.8, Tatenu Kampam Sukshamikshamana, Punjana Yebatma Ritam Vipakam, Ridbagbapur Bir, Dereham Namaste, Jiveti Yomukti Pate Sadhayabak. My dear Lord, one who constantly waits, waits for your causeless mercy to be bestowed upon him and who goes on suffering the reactions of his past misdeeds, offering you respectful obeisances from the core of his heart, is surely eligible for liberation, for it has become his rightful claim. 
And as we've mentioned before, in the 10th chapter of the Nectar of Devotion, Prabhupada writes that this statement, referring to that verse we just read, should be the guide of all devotees. A devotee should not expect immediate relief from the reactions of his past misdeeds. The guide for all devotees. And what is that guide? That And Prabhupada words it so nicely here. When we suffer some reverse in our life, we consider that the reverse uh, conditions are the Lord's concessions, which my understanding Prabhupada means that Krishna has minimized, made less the, the reactions that we should have gotten due to our karma. And so we're never angry at the Lord. We never um, have envy of Krishna. We're satisfied with the position the master offers. And in any case, we continue with our bhakti, with our devotional service. So there's a lot there. That's enough. We don't have to study any more of the Bhagavatam. That's enough for a whole lifetime right there in, in a few sentences. Because this verse, 10, 14, 8, it in one sense describes indirectly how we're in the material world and it describes directly how to get out. We're in the material world because we have envy of Krishna. We blame him for the situations that we're in. And the way out is to not, not only to not blame Krishna, but with our, with our, with our heart, with our, with, you know, from the core of our heart, as Prabhupada says, with our words, with our actions, we, we offer him obeisances and we think of his kindness and therefore Tayabak, we automatically inherit the kingdom of God. So we're showing Krishna that we're not a fair weather devotee. We have unconditional love. Um, any points on that? There's one other point I want to make, but any thoughts on that before I go to the other point? Hare Krishna Prabhu, Raghunandan Prabhu, Thank you, Prabhu. Um, two points. Uh, Jadabharat is in the mood of service. He says, yeah, if you still think that you are the master and I am the servant, what can I do for you? I am at your service. That's one thing. And the second thing is, as mentioning, he did not have that or he did not even have a grudge. Oh, I am being made to carry a palanquin. He said, oh, it's just my, the, my past uh, activities and the reactions of those activities are catching up to me. I will just uh, experience them and move on. I will not hold a grudge against anybody and especially towards the Supreme Lord. So that was very inspiring. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, to, it, what you said helped me think of another point to Shakshi Gopal Prabhu's question. Uh, and that is Maharaj Rahugana's Adhikar is where he's at. I think I kind of mentioned it before, but, but more clearly now. So he's speaking to Maharaj Rahugana in a way that he can understand. He's not going directly to, uh, well, you should meditate on the Rasalila in Braj. <laughs> That's not what the, you know, so Jadabharata might be, you know, who knows what his level of, you know, where his meditation is and his bhakti, but he's speaking in such a way to benefit Maharaja Huguna, to be a servant. So he, that's what you were saying. He was a servant. He was ready, but he's being a servant 
even in, in his kind of chastising Maharaj Rahugana as well. Uh, Devyanam Prabhu, you want to say something? Yeah. Hare Krishna Prabhu. I have a similar point that Raghunandan Prabhu said on the same lines. It says, the, like an ordinary man, he thought that by carrying the palanquin, he was destroying the reactions of his past misdeeds. So I was thinking that just by doing an ordinary activity, which is just carrying the palanquin, how is he able to destroy the reactions of his past misdeeds? Is that, does that mean that he is and if we apply this to our life and practically looking at it, it's not that devotional service is destroying the misdeeds. Is it the ordinary activity of just carrying the palanquin is destroying the misdeeds? Well, it's explained in two different ways, right? We do say, karmani nat nidahatikin tucha bhakti bhajam, right? That, that's from the Brahma Samhita, where it says that by performing bhakti, it, it uh, clears away our karma. And this is also mentioned in great detail in the Nectar of Devotion, where it talks about the four stages of karma, Aparabdha, Kuta, Bija, and Parabdha karma, and how bhakti uh, gets rid of all of them. I think one of the examples is, is I think it's, it's something about setting a fire in the forest and the snakes go immediately are the ones that get burnt, right? Because they can't climb up a tree or something like that. Um, and there's a couple of examples that Rupa Goswami gives to, to uh, illuminate this point. So bhakti, and the interesting thing about bhakti is it gets rid of both so-called bad and so-called good karma, right? But, and the other thing we can meditate upon is on a more, on a lower level, is that when we go through some kind of difficulty, some kind of suffering, okay, so that, whatever bad karma that was, that's being spent now, right? And another thing we can think of is if we, if we have a challenging relationship with someone and they might give us some grief, we can simultaneously be thinking, oh, well, this, you know, this is good. Uh, as Prabhupada once said, do not be upset at the agent of your karma. And also we can say, I'm not going to probably get into it with this person because we, then we get we re-engage in that karma and kind of get more, again, more entangled in it. Sometimes it's better just walk away. <laughs> it depends on the situation. If that person is speaking ill of Krishna or Krishna's devotees, that's another thing. But yeah. Is that all right? Yes, Guru. Yes, Guru. Okay. Sure. Yes, Guru Das. It's, it's worth summarizing the two points you just made to, to my mind one is that by doing service uh, we should have the understanding or the faith that our karma is being destroyed and also by suffering from our past misdeeds we're thinking that our karma is being destroyed you, you put it very nicely yeah and we should remember that we should study that section in the Nectar of Devotion because it's quite scientifically presented that the first things to go is the Aparabdha karma, which we won't see. Right? Aparabdha literally means unmanifest, so we're not going to see it. Then slowly the uh, uh, mental inclination, I forget which one, kuta, bija, and only the uh, parabdha is often left. So 
in the in that tenth uh, chapter of Nectar of Devotion, did I have, did I quote it here? Yes, a devotee should not expect immediate relief from the reaction of his past misdeeds because it. And the reason we say that is because it goes through these four stages. Yeah. And so then uh, Vishnu, I think it was Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, was, he, he poses the question, well, if, if that's true, if someone becomes a completely pure devotee, why would they stay within this body? Because this body is a manifestation of Prabhupada Karma, right? It's, you know, the, the whole thing is. And Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur answers it himself and says that for such a great devotee, Krishna keeps him in his material body so that he can uh, uh, preach to others and help others. Yeah. And that's Jeddah Bharata's position. Yeah, that's, uh, that is his position. Yeah. He says, oh, whatever, yeah, Krishna, whatever you want. Well, more like the acceptance. Whatever Krishna wants or arranges, the pure devotee is ready to accept that. Yes. Rake Krishna Marike, Mare Krishna Rake. And we you see this is that this goes back to that that balance that we talked before. So sometimes we devotees will misapply that Rake Krishna Marike, Mare Krishna, right? And say, well, that's all right, I don't need to wear a mask, or I can just go out to uh, you know Kirtan with three hundred devotees and you know, if Krishna wants to kill me, I'll get COVID nineteen if Krishna wants to save me. <laughs> You know, Prabhupada wrote, answered, you know, signed each of his letters, I hope this meets you in good health. <laughs> I hope you are well. So we should also want to satisfy Prabhupada's hope for us. <laughs> right? Okay, so shall we continue? Unless uh, anyone else, Jiva Taprakubu, Mam, Jay, Saradiya, anyone else? Miriam, others? Okay, then we'll all right, Krishna, can you hear me? Yes. I just want to say, um, I think it, uh, it requires a lot of effort to, um, to understand that, you know, whenever some difficulties actually occur in our life, it's actually a blessing. Because at that point, you're, you're engrossed in the difficulty, you're very upset about it, and you're thinking, why is Krishna doing this to me? Why is Krishna doing this to me? And you become upset with Krishna, and, you know, your devotional service gets affected because of that. So to, to actually separate yourself from, you know, from the actual situation and move on to the thing that, what is the blessing? What is the opportunity here? What can I learn from this? And that's where you actually, you know, uh, start to uh, reap the benefits of devotional service, I think. And I think that's what brings you closer to Krishna, because at that point is when you're broken. And at, at that point is um, you feel like, you know, you need the most help from Krishna. I think that's so difficult to do. Thank you. For that. And that's what happened with Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita. You know, he, he, first chapter, he was saying, you know, I got this, I got it all figured out. And then finally, he just said, okay, Krishna. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Please help me. Yes, and it is hard when you're in the midst of challenges to see Krishna's hand. And it's also hard to help others when we're observing that. And we've talked about this a number of times before. We often see the blessings in, in retrospect, with, uh, as I say in the West, with 2020 hindsight. So I think one, one way we can gauge our advancement is 
the time gap between when we're experiencing a challenge and not understanding it's Krishna's mercy and we later see it as Krishna's mercy, having that time become less and less and less until it becomes uh, spontaneous. Difficulty, Krishna's mercy. <laughs> and sometimes we need help from other devotees to help us uh, remember that. So thank you for bringing it up, Jay. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I often try and read as much as uh, Queen Kunti's prayers, you know, whenever I'm going through difficult times. And, you know, it makes me feel really humbled, you know, of, you know the kind of difficulty she's undergone uh, compared to what I have, you know, staying at home, stuck, uh, you know, in quarantine. That's nothing compared to being stuck in a, in a palace that's about to burn down. <laughs> so it kind of like, you know, helps me think outside the box and, you know, look at it from a, from a wider perspective. And are you praying for more and more calamities? <laughs> Not yet. I haven't reached at that stage yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to. We have enough. <laughs> we all have enough. Probably don't Should we be praying for calamities? I don't think so. Okay, so let's continue. Uh, oh, did you want to say something, Guru? I, I, I just wanted to say one one nice thing that uh, Jay just brought out uh, is that uh, it's a devotee's duty to be thinking as something happens to him, you know, uh, what does this mean, Krishna? What? Uh, please help me understand why, why this is happening to me. But uh, like he also said, we don't have to apply the negative that, uh, oh, Krishna, you know, why, why are you doing this to me? Um, we can uh, 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 approach it in a positive or opportunity type way. It was very nice. What right, doing. because it's not what Krishna is doing to us. It's, that's the whole point of this verse, Satanu Kampam. It's what I've done to myself in the past. And Krishna very kindly has minimized it. Yes. Uh, Jiva, did you want to say something? You just came on video. No, I didn't question, but I just decided to turn the video on. Oh, okay, well, we're so happy to see your transcendental uh, <laughs> face. <laughs> Hare Krishna. <laughs> so, Henry, you didn't answer my question. Should we be praying for calamities? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> we have enough? <laughs> They, they will come of their own accord. Very good. I think that's true for us. We're not, that's one part of uh, uh, Queen Kunti's example that maybe we can. <laughs> but, it, but you see her point. Her point was that she wanted to be always taking shelter and have the association of Krishna. Yeah, like that. Okay, let's carry on to, we have a number of verses to carry on to until we get to uh, 20. I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. So let's hear some more of Jadabharta. Uh, so Sukadeva Goswami continued, O best of the Pandu dynasty, or dynasty, Maharaj Brikshit, the king of the Sindhu and uh, Sovira states, Maharaj Rahugana, had great faith in the discussions of the absolute truth. Being thus qualified, he heard from Jadabharta the philosophical presentation, which is approved by all scriptures on the mystic yoga process. So, so mystic yoga process, okay, this pronunciation. And which slackens the knot in the heart. His material conception of himself as a king was mm. thus destroyed. 
He immediately descended from his palaquin and fell flat on the ground with his head at the lotus feet of Jadabharata in such a way that he might be excused for his insulting words against the great Brahmana. He then prayed as follows. So just imagine how, you know, sometimes when we're trying to bring someone to Krishna consciousness, it takes a year or two or whatever. And here it was like, he just surrendered. <laughs> King Rahugana said, O Brahmana, you appear to be moving in this world very much covered and unknown to others. Who are you? Are you a learned Brahmana and saintly person? I see that you're wearing a sacred thread. Are you one of those exalted, liberated saints, such as Dattatreya and other highly advanced, learned scholars? May I ask, whose disciple are you? Where do you live? Why have you come to this place? Is your mission in coming here to do good for us? Please let me know who you are. My dear sir, I am not at all afraid of the thunderbolt of King Indra, nor am I afraid of the serpentine piercing tridents of Lord Shiva. I do not care for the punishment of Yamaraj, the superintendent of death, nor am I afraid of fire, scorching sun, moon, wind, nor the weapons of Kuvera. I am, yet, I am afraid of offending a Brahmana. I am very much afraid of this. If only we had that understanding sometimes. My dear sir, it appears that the influence of your great spiritual knowledge is hidden. Factually, you are bereft of all material association and fully absorbed in the thought of the Supreme. Consequently, you are unlimitedly advanced in spiritual knowledge. Unlimitedly. Please tell me why you are wandering around like a dullard. Oh, great saintly person, you have spoken words approved by the yogic process. Again, yogic process. Um, but it is not possible for us to understand what you have said. Therefore, kindly explain it. I consider your good self the most exalted master of mystic power. You know the spiritual science perfectly well. You are the most exalted of all learned sages, and you have descended for the benefit of all human society. You have come to give spiritual knowledge, and you are a direct... Uh, here's that point that we brought up. You are a direct representative of Kapil Dev, the incarnation of God and the plenary portion of knowledge. I am therefore asking you, O spiritual master, what is the most secure shelter in this world? It is not a fact that your good, is it not a fact that your good self is the direct representative of Kapil Dev, the incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead? To examine people and see who is actually a human being and who is not, you have presented yourself to be deaf and to be a deaf and dumb person. You are not moving. This way upon, uh, are you not moving this way upon the surface of the world? I am very attached to family life and worldly activities, and I am blind to spiritual knowledge. Nonetheless, I am now present, present before you, and I'm seeking enlightenment from you. How can I advance in spiritual life? You have said I am not fatigued from labor. Although the soul is different from the body, there is fatigue because of bodily labor, and it appears to be the fatigue of the soul. When you are carrying the palaquin, there is certainly labor for the soul. This is my conjecture. You have also said that the external behavior exhibited between the master and the servant is not factual. But although in the phenomenal world it is not factual, the products of the phenomenal world can actually affect things. That is visible and experienced. As such, even though material activities are impermanent, they can uh, not be said to be untrue. King Rahugana continued. My dear sir, you have said that designations like bodily 
fatness and thinness are not characteristics of the soul. That is incorrect <laughs> because designations like pain and pleasure are certainly felt by the soul. You may put a pot of milk and rice within fire and the milk and rice are automatically heated one after the other. Similarly, due to bodily pains and pleasures, the senses, mind, and soul are affected. The soul cannot be completely detached from this conditioning. My dear sir, you have said that the relationship between the king and the subject or between the master and the servant are not eternal. But although such relationships are temporary, when a person takes to the position of a king, his duty is to rule the citizens and punish those who are disobedient to the laws. By punishing them, he teaches the citizens to obey the laws of the state. Again, you have said that punishing a person who is deaf and dumb is like chewing the chewed or grinding the pulp. That is to say, there is no benefit to it. However, if one is engaged in his own occupational duty as ordered by the Supreme Lord, his sinful activities are certainly diminished. Therefore, if one is engaged in, the, in his occupational duty by force, he benefits because he can vanquish all sinful activities in this way. Whatever you have spoken appears to me to be contradictory. O oh, best friend of the distressed, I have committed a great offense by insulting you. I was puffed up with false prestige due to possessing the body of a king. For this, I have certainly become an offender. Therefore, I pray that you kindly glance at me with your causeless mercy. If you do so, I can be relieved from sinful activities brought about by insulting you. Wow, that was a lot there, right? He was kind of disagreeing with him, but now he's surrendering to purport. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that by offending a Vaishnava, one finishes all his spiritual activities. <laughs> offending a Vaishnava is considered the mad elephant offense. A mad elephant can destroy an entire garden, which has been developed with great labor. One may attain the topmost platform of devotional service, but somehow or other, if he offends a Vaishnava, the whole structure collapses. Unconsciously, King Rahugana offended Jadabharata, but due to his good sense, he asked to be excused. This is the process by which one can be relieved from a Vaishnava aparada. Krishna is always very simple and by nature merciful. When one commits an offense to the, at the feet of a Vaishnava, one must immediately apologize to such a personality so that his spiritual advancement may not be hampered. Hmm. So we need to learn the art of never offending a devotee. The Sanskrit is ninda. Ninda means malice. Um, the, and satam ninda namna paramam aparadam vitanute yata kyatim yata katam usahate tadvigaram. To blaspheme the great saintly persons who are engaged in preaching the glories of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra is the worst offense at the lotus feet of the Holy Name. One should not criticize a preacher of the glories of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. If one does so, he is an offender. The Nam Prabhu, who is identical to Krishna, will never tolerate such blasphemous activities, even from one who passes as a great devotee. That's from the Adi Lila, chapter 8. <laughs> Mm, Prabhupada writes that in the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam, it is stated that this great literature is meant for the Paramahansas, Paramo Nirmat Saranam Satam. That is, the Srimad Bhagavatam is meant for persons who are 
completely free from malice. If the condition, if in the conditioned life, the malicious life begins from the top, namely bearing malice against the Supreme Personality of God. So when we offend Krishna's devotee, it's ultimately springing from our remaining envy of Krishna. So we may disagree with a devotee. We may have to even correct a devotee, but we should try very hard never to have a malicious attitude, to not be a well-wisher. And I think I've mentioned this before that in the early days in Prabhupada's lectures in the 60s, in initiation lectures, he would include people of other faiths in this category of people that who should not be blasphemed. So, and, or, and we also know that there's jana aparad, which means the offense against people in general. But Vaishnava aparad is the most serious. So again, we can, so it's an art. As one great Vaishnava once said, you devotees, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. <laughs> and we have to be careful to not have familiarity breed contempt, but always remain respectful of such, uh, how rare it is in the material world for people to be trying to become devotees. And even if we have so many faults, you know the example that we've given so many times that you don't criticize a person in the shower for being dirty, right? They're in the shower and you're yelling, oh, you're such a, you're so dirty, you're so dirty. Like he or she's in the shower, right? They're trying to get clean. So we should appreciate that they're trying to get clean. And whatever we have to do, whatever trick we may have to use in our mind, whatever it takes to be really careful about offending devotees. Some thoughts? Well, I think to be really safe, we don't want to offend anyone. Right. Right. And also I was thinking about this scene, you know, so here the king is out traveling. I mean, he must have had a retinue with him and, you know, guards and other people and maybe ministers and, you know, and, and, and then he's jumping down off the palaquin and he's offering his obeisances to one of the people carrying the palaquin. They must have been shocked. Yes, yes, right. Yeah, that's a good point. They must have been shocked. Yes. And we, yes, we don't want to offend anyone. We may sometimes, for someone's benefit, um, correct them, or even you know, or even tell them things that they may not like to hear. Like you know that that eating of the meat that you're doing on a regular basis that is hurting you physically, that is hurting you uh, in your consciousness, and it's hurting you in your under ability to understand God. You know, so we may sometimes have to speak the plain truth. But even then, as far as possible, we try to do it palatably. Other, other thoughts? Can you hear me, Prabhu? Yeah. Uh, a little louder, please. Hare Krishna? Yes. Okay, Prabhu. Um, very nice points, Prabhu, at all times. I mean, these are some of the challenges most of us face. Either we... <clears throat> We, I would say that most of the times people are in denial. They have such an arthas, but <clears throat> they would like to observe these in other people. But when we read about such teachings and we hear about this, 
that makes me wonder actually you know like you have said envy could be the envy is the root cause but also i am thinking that uh, when we don't have enough faith that krishna is the supreme controller mm. and that we everyone is actually part and parcel of krishna we don't see people with that vision is when you know uh, within our mind and our ego you know they do it they do their work and we tend to become judgmental or you know our observations could be uh, shaded by you know what we want to see and believe which may not be the case so many times um, it has come to my observation now lately you know in last couple of years ever since i have been thinking deeply about these teachings i have reflected back upon many uh, exchanges in my life where i formed certain opinions about people and i have revisited it or something has happened that things have become more clear to me that uh, what the way i took the situation or thought about people was not the case so senses are defective that is certainly i totally believe in it but also you know when well, well, we don't have that faith that krishna is the controller and everything is working under directions of god is where we we try to do these little things like envy and being judgmental and we you know tend to take maybe some satisfaction in it and not satisfying at all actually because real satisfaction is in having loving exchanges sometimes heart hankers for having beautiful friendships with people where somehow things are not that good between with them mm-hmm. and why does that happen because you know naturally like you know we hear so much in our teachings that we want to love and we want to be loved that is our natural position to serve and so in absence of that of understanding we tend to do all kind of things uh, with the weakness of our heart so as we were going through this verse and you know you pointed out did we lose her yeah back back is it on now it's on okay so yeah uh, so and and then i i was thinking how chanting of the holy names or engaging in any kind of service with the devotees it's so purifying i mean repeatedly we hear about it we read about it and hopefully will gradually be there in uh, you know really i mean we are speaking about it we want to live it we want to act that way and that's a constant uh, practice and effort thank you I agree with you that I think that's a really important point that when we don't see Krishna as a supreme lord and acting in our lives that's often when we can do things like commit vaishnava aparad very good thank you mantuji thank you very much so let's finish the last verse of this uh, chapter says oh my dear lord you are the friend of the supreme personality of god who is the friend of all living entities you are therefore equal to everyone and you are free from the bodily conception although i have committed an offense by insulting you i know that there is no loss or gain for you due to my insult you are fixed in your determination that i have committed an offense because of this even though i may be as strong as lord shiva i shall be vanquished without delay due to my offense at the lotus feet of a vaishnava and let's go right into the next chapter chapter 11 
Jadabharata instructs King Rahugana. The Brahmana Jadabharata said, My dear king, although you are not at all experienced, you are trying to speak like a very experienced man. What does that sound like? <laughs> like Krishna telling Arjuna, although yeah. you... Asocha namasochastam pragyataram shabhasate, right? Doesn't it sound just like that? Yeah. Chapter, which verse? You are speaking learned words, but actually you're a fool. Yeah. Chapter 211, yes. Very similar. Consequently, you cannot be considered an experienced person. An experienced person does not speak the way you are speaking about the relationship between a master and a servant or about material pains and pleasures. These are simply external activities. An advanced, experienced man, considering the absolute truth, does not talk in that way. So to follow up on Henry's point, you can imagine some of the people listening in say, did he just chastise the king? Is he going to lose his head? You know, of course, by now the king has paid obeisances, but still, you know, 10 minutes ago, those, no one would have ever dared to speak like that to the king. So, um, oh yeah, okay. My dear king talks of the relationship between the master and the servant, the king and the subject, and so forth, are simply talks about material activities. People interested in material activities, which are expounded in the Vedas, are intent on performing material sacrifices and placing faith in their material activities. For such people, spiritual advancement is definitely not manifest. So just um, before I go on here, just a little background into this chapter, I wanted to, to say it. So, you know, he, so yes, Jed Parta's mood, uh, he has a certain mood now when he's instructing Maharaj Ruhugana. In Vishnuvath Chakravarti Thakur says that I will, he's saying he's paraphrasing his mood and says, I will show mercy to this person who thinks he has knowledge by defeating him with knowledge. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, so let, oh, let me see. I just want to check my notes here. I'll let, I'm going to go on to text three. A dream becomes automatically known to a person as false and immaterial. And similarly, one eventually realizes that material happiness in this life or the next on this planet or on a higher planet is insignificant. When one realizes this, the Vedas, although an excellent source, are insufficient to bring about direct knowledge of the truth. So we have to, of course, understand. And sometimes this is tricky for a devotee, you know, just becoming familiar with Prabhupada's books. What does it mean here, the Vedas? Because sometimes we talk about Vedic literature and we talk about the Bhagavad Gita as a Veda. And we talk about the Bhagavatam as a Vedic literature. But here, of course, I think everyone on this call understands that it's talking about the other sections of the Vedas. And as Krishna refers to in verse 45, I believe, of the second chapter, uh, Veda. That he's telling Arjuna to rise above the, the trigun, the, the, the Vedas that deal mainly with the three modes of material nature. Okay, so that's what, that's naturally the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavatam, is sufficient to give direct knowledge of the truth. But the ritualistic part of the Vedas, which is this, I'm assuming here is what um, Jadavard is bringing up because that it was the tendency of how, what, 
Maharaj Rahugana was following. And he's saying, no, 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 no. And Prabhupada talks about this in the, actually, he quotes this verse, about the verse that I mentioned in the beginning. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna advises Arjuna to become transcendental to the material activities impelled by the three modes of material nature. So now we are entering into a very, the rest of the chapter pretty much has so much to do with the, the, the mind and the pivotal role that the mind has in causing us to become entangled in, in ignorance. So from, uh, from chapter, that's from verses four to eight, all about the mind. And then from verses nine to 14, we hear about the field of activities with which this, uh, uh, which the soul acts in a little similar to chapter 13 of the Gita. And of course it describes the knower of the field. And then the last three verses conclude with a relationship between the mind, the soul and the soul's, excuse me, transmigration from one body into another. So I could have chosen any of these verses in four to eight to, for us to, uh, Study, I picked um, verse number seven for a reason that I'll explain. So let's, uh, let's see if we have time. Let's read four to eight and then go back and discuss them a little bit, okay? But this is one of the strongest places in the Bhagavatam that discusses the mind. The other place, of course, that we've referenced before is the uh, song of the Advanti, the, about the Advanti Brahmana and his realizations. As long as the mind of the living entity is contaminated by the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and mind, his mind is exactly like an independent, uncontrolled elephant. Would we want an independent, uncontrolled elephant on the property of ISKCON of D.C.? It simply expands its jurisdiction of pious and impious activities by using the senses. The result is that the living entity remains in the material world to enjoy and suffer pleasures and pains due to material activities. Because the mind is absorbed in desires for pious and impious activities, it is naturally subjected to the transformations of lust and anger. In this way, it becomes attracted to material sense enjoyment. In other words, the mind is conducted by the mode, is conducted by the modes of passion, goodness, passion, and ignorance. There are 11 senses and five material elements. And out of these 16 items, the mind is the chief. Therefore, the mind brings about birth in different types of bodies among demigods, human beings, animals, and birds. When the mind is situated in a higher or lower position, it accepts a higher or lower material body. The materialistic mind covering the living entity's soul carries it to different species of life. This is called continued material existence. Due to the mind, the living entity suffers or enjoys material distress and happiness. Being thus illusioned, the mind further creates pious and impious activities and their karma, and thus the soul becomes conditioned. The mind makes the living, ent- the living entity within the material world wander through different species of life, and thus the living entity experiences mundane affairs in different forms as a human being, demigod, fat person, skinny person, and so forth. Learned scholars say that the bodily appearance, bondage, and liberation are caused by the mind. And finally, 
When the living entity's mind becomes absorbed in sense gratification of the material world, it brings about his conditioned life and suffering within the material conditions, say, situations. However, when the mind becomes unattached to material enjoyment, it becomes the cause of liberation. When the flame of a lamp be- burns the wick improperly, the lamp is blackened. But when the lamp is filled with ghee and is burning properly, there is bright illumination. Similarly, when the mind is absorbed in material sense gratification, it causes suffering. And when detached from material sense gratification, it brings about the original brightness of Krishna consciousness. Wow. So, a little bit about the mind. I'm reading a little bit from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur when he's talking about text number four. He says, what is the general reason people attempt to find material happiness even when they have heard enlightened teachings by devotees? That's a good question, right? We've heard so many times, why do we still attempt material happiness? And then he answers that. Jada Bharata assures us that, uh, he says, that the three modes of nature forcibly pull out the desires in the mind. And the mind is as unstoppable as a mad elephant. The sage's words about the mind's dangerous tendency to embrace uncontrolled attachments, regardless of how foolish those attachments may be, are spoken from spiritual realization. So we have to remember, right, Judd Bartz is speaking from realization because he got into this whole thing with the deer. So he actually, he actually remembers that. And he knows that attach, he knows that the attachments that are born of this obstinate mind, um, they require purification and, and redirection. So then the question might be, why does the mind become attached and absorbed to specific objects? And the answer is that it's the configuration or the combination of the three modes of material nature that's inherent within every every jiva. And based on that individual configuration of the modes, uh, our mind becomes absorbed in various combinations of pious and impious desires, um, driven by, as it says here in verse number five, uh, lust and anger. Okay, so the modes are so much dictating the modes, um, what our mind is attracted or not attracted to. Oh, Mind. Hmm. So uh, let's just read a little bit of. Uh, I chose verse seven. Where is it? Oh yes, because when, when I when I um, give classes, I often refer to the, these two words, para and avara, and this is where I, I you know I, I found those those two words explained in the best way. Just as the mind is the cause of bondage, it can also be the cause of liberation. The mind is described here as para-avara. Para means transcendental, and avara means material. When the mind is engaged in the Lord's service, mana krishna padhara vindayo, it is called para, transcendental. And when the mind is engaged in material sense gratification, it's called avara, or material. Or just as we heard in Bhagavad Gita, udared atmanatmanam, natmanam avasadhyat, atmayavahyatmanam bandur, that the mind can be our friend, our bandur, or our vipur, our enemy. And then a little later, Prabhupada writes, as stated in the Narada Pancharatra, 
When the mind and senses are purified, one's total existence is purified and one's designations are also purified. One no longer considers himself. So here, listen to this list of designations. A human being, a demigod, a cat, a dog, a Hindu, a Muslim, and so forth. When the senses and mind are purified and one is fully engaged in Krishna's service, one can be liberated and return home back to them. So the mind has us so absorbed in our upadis, in our designations. Everyone is walking around totally convinced about their temporary upadis. Whether it's their favorite sports team or their, or their religion or their being interested in NASCAR racing or whatever it is. There's so many different upadis that we just pile on ourselves that cover over the one upadi we want. So that was a little speech. Uh, some thoughts about the mind. And anyone ever have experience of the mind causing trouble? <laughs> Saradia, you want to say something? Oh, you had your off mute for a second there. Mind is like a, a double agent. Yes, double agent, exactly. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So it, it basically it tricks us into believing that, oh, this is the right thing to do, but it is acting as Maya's agent. But when uh, that mind is guided by a proper intelligence and that intelligence is properly guided by spiritual knowledge, then the mind becomes... A friend. Yes. Right. So, so that's the challenge. So as uh, uh, Radhanath Swami Maharaj puts it, which dog do you feed? The good dog or the bad dog? Right, right, right. I feed the bad dog, the more the bad dog is going to give trouble. But more I feed the good dog, then the good dog is going to be the one that is going to be active. Nice point. Yes. And the scary thing is this para avara can be, it can switch in seconds between the two. That, that's, uh, so it's, it's hard to be constantly remembering that we're in this precarious situation and therefore we should be engaging our mind as much as possible in Krishna consciousness. Yeah. And as we hear from Bhagavad Gita, uh, the mind it's like a binary processor. It just does two things, accept or reject, accept or reject, accept or reject. So the para-avara falls into that mode because of the acceptance or rejection. So what are we accepting? What are we rejecting? Exactly. Upon where we are situated at. So, yes. Yeah, so you could say, based on what you just said, uh, Raghunanda Prabhu, that the whole process of Krishna consciousness is simply changing what we accept and reject. I mean, you could say, right, that's, that's one way of explaining that we're accepting Krishna and whatever is favorable to Krishna consciousness, hearing, chanting, remembering, etc. And we're rejecting things that, uh, other than that. Yeah. And that's why our Acharyas also say, accepting, accepting Krishna is, uh, attachment to Krishna is automatically detachment from material things. Correct. Thank you. Anyone else? Krishna, this is Jeev So, yep. mind in the mode of goodness, right? 
and your, your intelligence is influenced by passion, mode of passion. So again, devotional service is transcendental. So when we are driven by the right purpose, understanding the purpose of life, even the intelligence needs to be corrected. Otherwise, in passion, it's safeguarding the false ego. And that's where we need guidance from spiritual master, devotee association, and the scriptures, Sadhu Sangha and Guru Shastra, to really understand how we can dovetail mind. Because the purpose, the constitutional position of mind is accepting and rejecting. But yeah. just saying that intelligence itself could also be bewildering because intelligence in initial purpose is to safeguard the false ego. So we need to understand the right purpose before you know the intelligence can influence the mind to direct in the right direction and engage the senses properly. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Yeah, well, the mind is actually, you're right. The mind is kind of a, a simple fellow. And, and if we can just quiet it down and and... And you know, before we chant our rounds, get in the right consciousness and chant and hear each mantra. And uh, otherwise, it's just when it's when it's starting to race, it just can take us. It's just really being pulled in so many different directions by the uh, lower two modes of material nature. But like you're saying, if we can have it revert back to the mode of goodness, and then focus on Krishna, then it can become our bandur our friend, that it's, it's, we live in a very passionate world. And, and I don't know about what your jobs are like, but my job is uh, I'm on Zoom all day long, Zoom or Teams. And it's, you know, it's just like a, I'm in front of the screen all day long, you know, when I'm working. And it's, it's um, it, this computers, I don't think they're born in the mode of goodness. <laughs> So, so, uh, so what I've what I've tried to do at least recently is not put meetings back to back. At least leave a five or ten minutes break, you know, space between one meeting, one meeting, so I can get my eyes away from the computer. I can go for a walk. I can chant Gayatri. I can whatever you know, chant around. Take some prasadam, but have a little break to cool things down because just back to back to back to back to back all day long it's by the end of the day you know so much in the affected by passion and ignorance I'm just I'm just yeah. you know I'm just exhausted um, I don't know we have 10 minutes left I don't think we're going to finish this chapter but we can go on to the next section how does that sound so versus... I'll ask a quick question on verse, yes. on text 7 sure in, in the purport, um, Srila Prabhupada mentions the tongue. So out of all the other senses, he's pinpointed the tongue, and he says the tongue should be used to spread Krishna's message or take prasadam. What, why, right. is, um, why is the tongue considered to be the foremost? Why has Srila Prabhupada highlighted this first, instead of looking at the eyes or, or the nose or the scent or anything like that? Right, very good question. Well, first of all, what one reason is he's quoting Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 1, 2, 234, where it says, Seva Adal. So Seva Mukhe means, you know, service. And Jiva Dao, Jiva is the tongue, and Adal means etc. Right? So beginning with the tongue. And, I, and as I'm sure you recall, Prabhupada discusses how the, 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 um, the tongue the stomach and the genitals are in a straight line. And the 
And so that's, okay, so that's another point. The next point is that, in, especially in Kali Yuga, the main process of self-realization is chanting Hare Krishna. And that's done, done with the tongue. Or we could say even hearing it, you know, so chanting Hare Krishna, reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, those are the two, you know, Shravanam Kirtanam, those are the two most powerful parts, even, you know, the beginning two of even the nine processes of, of uh, devotional service. So that's, and then of course, taking prasadam purifies us. It, yeah, it purifies our whole existence by taking prasadam. So, so this dual role of the tongue, and also the tongue can get us into so much trouble. Prajalpa, uh, unwanted talks, is is and and Prabhupada would say this, you know, Prajapa extends to so many fiction books and movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then also eating all kinds of things that creates so much more karma. So the tongue is really this uh if we consider speaking also part of the tongue, which is the way Rupa Goswami described it, um it's such a important sense. And we also hear sometimes the glorification of the ear. Right, that when you're sleeping, your sense, your your tongue can't save you, your eyes can't save you, but you know, someone yelling, "Get up, get up!" There's a fire, right? So, and then another place, Prabhupada talks about how put it, the tongue and the ear lock them together when you're chanting and just hear the mantra. So, so specifically, he's quoting that verse, referring to that verse, which he refers to in the purport, and then Rupa Goswami is bringing that up because. These two functions are so important. And then they affect the, the belly and, and the genitals. And, of course, we understand, especially controlling the genitals is, is such an important part of um, trying to become self-realized. Is that all right, Jay? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, so we try, we'll see how far we get on this. Nine to, thir- nine to 14 is now defining the... Uh, Field of activity. We'll try to do at least uh, verse nine, which we had as a homework assignment. So verse eight. Oh, we did eight. So verse nine begins this new section. You can see it's quite a different topic now. There are five. Well, it's connected. There are five working senses and five knowledge acquiring senses. There is also the false ego. In this way, there are eleven items for the mind's functions. O hero, the objects of the senses, such as sound and touch the organic activities such as evacuation and the different types of bodies, society, friendship, and personality are considered by learned scholars, the fields of activities for the function of the mind. Prabhupada writes, the mind is the controller of the five knowledge acquiring senses and the five working senses. Each sense has its particular field of activity. In all cases, the mind is the controller or owner. By the false ego, one thinks oneself the body and thinks in terms of my body, my house, my family, my society, my nation, and so on. These false identifications are due to the expansion of the false ego. Thus one thinks that he is this or that. Thus the living entity becomes entangled in material existence. So the mind projects the false sense of self. In Sanskrit that's called the abhimana, or ahankara, the false ego. And so it projects a sense of self onto the sense objects. 
and onto the actions of one's bodily organs, onto one's body, onto one's mind, onto one's friend, I mean, one's friends, one's society, one's personality, and one's possessions. They all start becoming I and my. So um, the, when we project onto external objects, the mind's I perceives them as mine, right? Like, Janasya Mohoyam, Ahammameti. I, the illusion is I and mine. I am, I am this person, uh, male, female, white, black, green, whatever, and this is mine. So then, the 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 field of I am mine. Um, it's the field of activities is being explained here, and this conception just keeps us in the material. It keeps us entangled in the material existence. And, and as that false ego expands, as Prabhupada writes in the, purp- uh, in the purport to the next verse, he says, uh, it makes one think, this is my body, my family, my society, my country, etc." So you can see how this one verse just describes everyone in the world. <laughs> and, and one of the problems in the world, because when we, when we relate to you know, this is my country. That is not my country, right? Uh, you know, and 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 the consumerism in the world and the over, uh, you know, not just taking our quota, like it says in the Ishopanishad. So, so much comes out of this illusion of false ego, of who I think I am, and based on who I think I am, what is mine? Some thoughts on that? It reminds me of that aham mameti. Yeah. I, me, and mine. Yes, yes. George Harrison's song, all through the day. <laughs> I, me, mine, I, me, mine, I, me, mine. That's where he got it from. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's a very powerful, I find, you know, for a thoughtful person bringing this, you know, explaining this can sometimes help them become interested in Krishna consciousness. This idea of a false understanding of who we are. And then based on that, this is mine, my mind. <laughs> Jadabharata opted out. His mind was yeah. strong enough to opt out of that, uh, of the mind's material functions. Yes. I remember when I was, uh, for a year, I was, when I was a brahmacharya, I was Chaitanya Maharaj's servant. I think I told this story before, but we went to this really rich person's home, huge house. And he kind of uh, spoke a little heavy, says, you have a very nice snake hole here. <laughs> very nice what? Snake hole. Oh, I thought that's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the person, you know, but he was just saying, oh, you know, you think this is yours, you know. Um, and sometimes Prabhupada would speak very heavy that there was that time, right, where the man came and said, this is my son, this is my daughter-in-law, this is my, this is my, and Prabhupada turned to the side and says, this is my sex life. Just sometimes, the sadhus, the sadhu cuts sometimes. Now, he didn't say that to the to the guests, by the way, to the gentleman. He was just, you know, 
trying to um, maybe make a point to one of his disciples. <laughs> so actually, everyone, every one of us in the material world is, according according to these teachings about the mind, everyone in the material world is, we're, we're in a very precarious position. Even if we accept the teaching of Jeddah Bharat, uh, the precariousness is, we're in the material world, so we're playing like we're acting by the mind's direction, but actually we're simultaneously thinking that I'm not this body, I'm not this mind. Right. Yes. So it's time now, but next week we will definitely talk about this amazing sentence that I've been meditating on all week, uh, or two sentences. There, this is in verse 17, that there is one easy weapon by which the mind can be conquered, disobedience. So, you know, we, we, are, uh, we are renegade souls, right? And we're, and we're supposed to be obedient to our guru and to the Vaishnavas and to Krishna. So this is our one huge opportunity to be disobedient, <laughs> right? To be a renegade, to be a rebel. And that is to not listen to our mind, to not obey our mind, because usually we're very, yes, my dear mind, I obey you. So we're going to talk about that next week and then go on to this uh, another chapter of conversations between Maharaj Rahugana and Jada Bharata. So we're making progress. We are getting through amazing. We just started the fifth canto recently. We're already up to the 11th chapter. And we are going to make it through Bhakti Vaibhava, through the... <laughs> six uh, cantos of the Bhagavatam so thank you very much Prabhu's and you. we will see you thank same you. time thank next you. week all glories to Srila Prabhupada Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai thank you Prabhu Jai thank you